This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon along with you. Eric's not joining us here for this first segment, so it's Drew Dukov joining me here to talk a little UCF football. We have a very busy show. We have an introduction to make a little bit later. Kyle Nash, the student of the game, is joining us. Uh, media day for basketball today on uh, Thursday, November the 4th. We're recording this in the morning and actually throughout the day because of media day. But uh, wow, Drew, here we are. Like now we're now we're hitting what we call the fall sports equinox, right? Because basketball's around the corner, football's starting to wind down, lots to talk about. And oh God, our, our schedules are about to get full for about a month. Oh, this is great though. And and I'm thrilled to have Kyle join the team. He and I go way back. Yeah, you guys do go way back. Um, yeah, we've known each other for 20 years, uh, aside from being students together at UCF and, and friends, and we played football together and stuff. Uh, we, uh, we also worked at multiple websites together, uh, writing-wise. So, you know, he brought me on to multiple websites. It was my turn to bring him on board. And, you know, I'm thrilled that Returning he's part, the of the, part of this family. <laughs> yes. well, well, this is good. So, uh, so so we'll have Kyle on a little bit later in the second segment to talk about basketball because he's going to be at media day for UCF men's and women's basketball. Uh, Bryson Turner is also going to join us later to talk about uh, talk about what's going on in the grab bag uh, in the um, in the nightcap. And we and a really good piece that he and I worked on, if I say so myself, on. UCF men's soccer and what are their conference options? We're going to talk about that and of course everything else a little bit later. But first, let's get to the order of business, Drew. We lead with football in football season and uh, UCF is coming off the most complete game they've played all year. 49-7 demolition of the Temple Owls in Philadelphia in front of like 20 people. Um an announced 19,595. It wasn't that many people. In the <laughs> it wasn't remotely close. But to that. Um, UCF was up 49-0 for 59 minutes and 32 seconds until Temple got a garbage touchdown pass at the end. But this was as full a performance on both sides of the ball uh, as we have seen. Um, UCF rushed for 199 yards, threw for 229. Mikey Keene became the seventh UCF quarterback in school history to throw five touchdowns in one game. He was named to the conference honor roll, 15 to 21, 229, five touchdowns, one pick. He was sacked once. Isaiah Bowser, uh, another workman-like performance for him, 89 yards on 19 carries and a touchdown. Johnny Richardson added 42. Joey Gatewood got some, got some work uh, in the offense as well. He had 40 rushing yards. Um, and Alec Holler had a huge day receiving for the offense, four catches, 87 yards, two touchdowns, one really incredible move. Um, and Ryan O'Keefe scored twice, uh, as well. Six catches, 72 yards for him. Brandon Johnson, three catches, 43 yards. And so just a, just a, a complete performance, uh, on offense defensively for UCF, believe it or not, uh, Bryce, uh, John Powell led UCF in tackles with eight, um, Bryson Armstrong was all over the place as usual. Quadric Bullard had a big game. Uh, the Knights recorded, um, let's see, was it two, four sacks. Justin Hodges uh, had one of them. Big Cat Bryant had a sack and a half, along with Ricky Barber with a half a sack. And Tremont Morris Brash had a sack. So, um, 
statistics aside, Drew, was this more a game where, you know, UCF was hitting on all cylinders or was it more that Temple is just really bad and even worse than their, uh, than their three and five overall record would indicate? Um, what's, how did you, what was, what's the, what's your final evaluation of this game? Well, I mean, Temple's bad and, and Temple was bad going into the game. Temple got worse before the game started. Three starters were out, uh, including their two leading tacklers. So, I mean, this had the recipe of disaster written all over it for them. And it basically exactly was that. Uh, UCF was opportunistic. Uh, do I think they were great? No, I don't. Um, they, but they, they did. Well, you're, well, you're opportunistic. Yeah, I mean, they did. They, they cashed in when they when they were supposed to, which, was, right. which is a good thing to see, because how many times have we seen, you know, opportunities from this team, not just this Slip season, but in the past, just go yeah. go by the wayside. Right. There, there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, I think uh, Mikey Keene had some flashes of really good accuracy. His deep ball mm-hmm. passes, you know, his deep balls have not been particularly good this year. Uh, he had a couple that were right on the money. And then he had that one. There were some drops in this game too, by the oh, way. Oh, oh, he would have had a way better stat line if it wasn't for some very bad drops. And I don't blame him for that. Those are on the receivers. Ryan O'Keefe had a very rough first half. Yeah. They end up benching him for part of the first half. He came back. He had a great second half. And sometimes yep. he just made up for hit, it. You got to hit the reset button. And, you know, if your head's not in it for whatever reason, sometimes just get away and, and kind of recenter yourself is, is a, a great medicine. Uh, but that's part of the, why it wasn't great. Uh, but I don't, I don't criticize the quarterback for that. It's just, it's a team effort. Uh, there was a lot of missed opportunities because of those drops and, and just little bit, little things here and there. Uh, but they took advantage of what they had to do. I mean, that, that one interception that, I, that I, I, I mentioned was just an absolute terrible throw that, you know, you know, it's funny, you know, you have this weird situation where, you know, it's a bad ball and then all of a sudden it's your ball again. And yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Hey, I mean, it, again, yeah, it was, you know, it, that was a case of better be lucky than good. I, I think, uh, yeah. The, the interception that, that, and then the fumble, right? Which I think really kind of was kind of the, the if you could call it the turning point of the game. Well, I think, I think it deflated any any momentum that certainly Temple deflated was going to yeah. have because yeah. interception is a great momentum changer. But I mean, you fumble on the same play, and then UCF gets the ball what twenty plus yards further upfield because of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with a first down because it's changing possession, down, whole new whole new possession. Yep, I. How do you come back from that if you're a team that's already down, you know, like man-wise, so talent-wise, you're already down. It's hard to come back from that. And, and you said just kind of, just kind of, you know, stepped on their throat a little bit and just, just, you know, hit them hard and, and just didn't quit. But, you know, that the stuff like that, that's more luck than skill. I mean, that interception was terrible. Uh, there was the re- showed the receiver and the quarterback were nowhere near in sync. The throw was nowhere near the receiver, and the receiver wasn't even. Look, it looked like the defender ran the route better than the than the receiver, and I think. It, and it's right. one of those things where it's like you wonder if it's like a freshman play. Like, did did Mikey see him and think, oh, that's my guy? Because it looked like the defender just ran ran the ran the route better than the receiver did. Yeah, and and I believe that was Brandon Johnson. It was thrown to who normally was a pretty good route runner. So I mean, there yeah. was obviously some sort of disconnect 
uh, between. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think Mikey got a little duped on that one. It's possible. I mean, even though he had his best game as a college quarterback, you know, 15 to 21, that's really good. 229. That's a career high. Obviously the five touchdowns. Uh, there's still, there's still a lot of room for improvement. He took advantage of a bad defense. Uh, he's going to have to, you know, tighten it up. Not so much this week, but in future weeks, especially if, if he has to start again with SMU, you know, coming up in a week and a half, uh, he's going to have to, he's going to have to find some magic and his receivers are going to have to step up for him. You know, you can't afford these really bad drops. And it, it wasn't even like the throw was off and it was hard to pull in. Maybe you got a hand, like one hand on these were bad drops. You know, they, they, they were, uh, there was two that were probably for touchdowns uh, that just, just, bleh, you know, you had some alligator arm action going on and it just didn't work, but yeah, that, that I, was, that was tough. It, it, like I, I was empathetic toward Mikey. Cause like, that wasn't his fault. Yeah. Those, I, those, yeah. Those I, I, and like, money. you gotta, I mean, any receiver will tell you like, and, and, and I think the guy said after the game too, is like, yeah, we got to help out our freshman quarterback. You know, you got to help, you got to help the kid out. And, and that was a bummer. That's, that's kind of the, you know, that, that, that it was, that, that was, you're right. It, they were, you, you just have to help out your freshman quarterback in that kid. And, and yet he still was 15 to 21. He was, he so, was efficient. He was very yeah. efficient. Uh, but he's you know, so you, accurate on the run, isn't he? he? I mean, that's where he's best at, you know, you yeah. think which, which that... is, which is what reminds me of the McKenzie Milton thing. Cause McKenzie was always super accurate on the run. And, and and both his freshmen had mechanical issues. Uh, Milton had this weird push to his throw that tend to overthrow receivers, mm-hmm. and and Mikey just has a slow release. Uh, so I mean, yeah, he kind he kind of checks first and third a little bit, you know. In fact, he almost had another pick where he he was basically staring down a receiver and was just stuttering the whole time, and it allowed a defender to kind of jump in the way. That that's all stuff that can be worked on. That's why you have you know. Uh, a quarterback coach in the in Kinney, you know, there to help develop yeah. that. But it takes hey, here we are nitpicking a 49-7 win, by the way. Yeah, well, you have to because <laughs> you're playing against a bad team. It's easy to get caught up in the win, you know, the aspect, the fact it wasn't close. But there are still things that have to be worked on. And, you know, but I guarantee you, the coaches look at this and say, hey, the win's great. We got some things to work on because it's not going to oh, yeah. always be this easy. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at the running game. Uh, the running game was was actually relatively held in check, but that's because Temple sold on the run. They said, "Okay, Kane beat us in the air," and that's what. And, Guess what? And he did. <laughs> well, uh, to, and well, to be fair, then also UCF did run for it, it, they, that strategy. Didn't even really work for Temple either because UCF ran for 199 yards. Right. So, and, and, and normally UCF runs for for more. Uh, yeah. They're they're a run first. Four point six yards per rush for the game. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, the average um, t- about two hundred five and change per game. So I mean, this was a little bit below the average, but you know they they did what they had to do. There are the passing averages about two sixteen. They got a little bit above that. And and remember, on a couple of occasions, there were short field. There was a, a short field. You know, yep. like after the the interception fumble. So yeah, you're going to get points, but you're not going to get yards. So, yeah. I mean, you got to take, you got to, you take that into consideration too. But when you, you look at how Temple set up on defense, they sold on the run. And I, I go back, that's the Isaiah Bowser effect. You know, you had, they were, you know, defenses respected because he could, he's hard to pull down and he can get big chunk yardage. 
So you have to stack the box. And when you, you have a quarterback who, who's not had much success, you know, had no 200 yard games in his career coming into this, you're going to force him to throw the ball. But when you, you know, you're missing a pair of starters on your defensive backfield, including one who's a leading tackler, mm. uh, usually things don't end up too well. And uh, that's exactly what happened. You know, you take what the defense gives you. Yeah. Well, Spin this forward now to Tulane, who is actually in last place in the American. And the schedule has worked out very nicely for UCF. We kind of had this game circled as like a potential really good game. I don't know what has happened to Tulane this year. One and seven, oh and four in the American under Willie what Fritz. Good. Well, I don't know what has happened there. Um, the, and, and the, but chance here to win three in a row after the Cincinnati game have a three game winning streak heading into the game in Dallas at SMU. And you have another week to potentially get healthy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there were, there was some, there were some rumors that Jay flash Jalen Robinson might be ready for the temple game that didn't pan out. Um, but again, he, we don't know. He could be ready for this game. They, they could really be saving him for us. They didn't really, yeah, they really didn't need him. They might not need him for Tulane either. Um, based on what coming, they, if, if he's available, they may, they may try to trot him out there. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the, the 800 pound gorilla in the room is also what's up with, uh, with Dylan Gabriel and what's Gus Malzahn's kind of chess move with that right do you do you I, I now we have no indication that he could be ready for saturday against tulane he has not been cleared to play obviously we don't know how long it's going to take him to be cleared to play um but you know the more time you give him the more likely it is that you know he could be back for a game like the one against smu right and it's don't possible. look now, don't look now, true. But Houston and Cincinnati are undefeated at the top of the conference, 5-0-4. By the way, that, that Houston SMU game was just an amazing football game. The incredible – Houston had their, their, their Mike Hughes moment in that game in the final minute, won it on a kickoff return with under 30 seconds to go. Um. The, uh, the game of the year in the conference, I really do believe it so far to the, so far to this point. What a win for Houston. They vaulted themselves right now into a collision course with Cincinnati for the American Athletic Conference championship game. SMU's at three and one. Um, but UCF is just hovering right there in fourth place at three and two. Now, don't want to look too far ahead, right? But beat Tulane like you're supposed to. You go to four and two. You beat SMU. You're at five and two in the conference, all alone in and basically all alone in third place. And if one of these two teams slips up, there is a sliver, tiny little, little itsy bitsy sliver of a chance. Um, in particular, Houston, because Cincinnati has a tiebreaker. So it kind of throws Cincinnati out. But there's a little teeny tiny little chance that UCF could possibly slip into the American championship game over Houston. All right. Now, is it going to be easy? No, because look at Houston's remaining schedule. All right. They're at South Florida at temple 
home for Memphis. And then they're at UConn the last weekend of the season. And they have to lose all three of those conference games. Yeah, they would have to. Well, well, would they though, or could they lose two? Is there, is if, if there's two losses between UCF and UCF, is there a tiebreaker? Uh, I'd have to go with the tiebreaker. <laughs> excuse me. I'd have to look at the tiebreaker as far as uh, teams that don't play head to head. Uh, and maybe like, like opponents or something. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll have to see. I know uh, Cincinnati would have to drop three. Because, hang on a second. Uh, uh, twenty. These are the twenty twenty tiebreakers. I'm actually looking up right now. Um, what makes things interesting is if SMU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF all end up with two losses, which is possible. If UCF wins out, SMU defeats Cincinnati. Cincinnati stumbles somewhere, and then Houston drops two, which I don't. I, I don't think they're going to. I, I think they'll win all three. Maybe, maybe lose one, but you never know. It's possible. And then you have a log jam to try oh, to clear us. You got a total uh, mess. There might, we we might have to, to bust out the coin for that. Well, I think they end up going with like <laughs> CFP ranking, but I, none of yeah. them are going to be ranked at that point. Well, <laughs> well, here's, uh, here's Cincinnati's remaining schedule home for Tulsa at South Florida home SMU at ECU to finish out. East Carolina, there. There's they're, something about that ECU game that's like you don't know which ECU team's going to show up. Yeah, they they can yeah. be really good. They can be really bad. And uh, you know, Tulsa is another team that you know sometimes finds ways to step up for for you know against tougher opponents. Yeah. Uh, SMU obviously is going to be is definitely the big game circle. Uh, yeah. Obviously, USF's USF. They're 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 not doing so hot. But then again. Cincinnati struggled the last two games. Maybe they squeaked by Tulane. They didn't pull away. Yeah, they had, they've had some trouble the last two weeks. They, you know, and that hurt them in that their hurt rankings. Them in the, yep, I think CFP. that's part of the reason why they why the CFP committee dropped them down to sick. I don't agree with right. it. Now, but granted, I, both of those were away games, but still, I mean, you know, yeah. a seven point win against Navy, who's not a good team. Okay, that that's not acceptable. And right. you know, Tulane they win by nineteen, but. That was a close game for way too long. Right. Well, speaking of Tulane, um, here's the word on the game for UCF. Uh, UCF is a 13-point favorite, according to Odd Shark, And 96% of the money as of Thursday morning is on UCF minus the 13. Uh, 59.5 is the over-under. 100% of the money is on the over. I think a lot of people are looking at this as a – um, sort of a, with a little bit of recency bias here. Um, Tulane, by the way, four and one against the spread in their last five games against UCF. I, the, Even I though would, they're one and six straight up in their last I mean, seven I would take, in the series. I would take the spread, but I would go under. Uh, I don't. Interesting. I would take the under on it. Uh, you don't know what you're getting out of UCF's offense. It's been hot. It's been cold. It's been opportunistic. And. Mm-hmm. You know, this defense for Tulane is bad. They average oh, oh, over 290 yards given up in the air and over 185 on the ground. So, I mean, it's, it's a bad defense. Uh, but, you know, UCF's offense is inconsistent. And, yeah. you know, can Mikey Keene put together a second game in a row uh, in the air that, that's, that's dominant? You know, can the running game kind of, you know, take over? You know, they, if Tulane is going to sell out on the run, okay, win it in the air. Uh, the question is, how balanced is Tulane going to run their defense? Yeah. Uh, 
they may have to respect the pass a little bit more because of last week that would help the running game. But, you know, you, you look at it, you know, Isaiah Bowser is still not a hundred percent. You know, he's, he said it as much. Yeah, you can, you can, you can tell, you can tell. He's still, I mean, he's it's good. such a, bu- it's such a bummer too. Cause he really is gutting it out there, man. Yeah, I'll tell you good. But like last week it's a blowout. And, and I think, why is he on the field in the fourth quarter? He should be out. Uh, there was no reason to keep him in the game longer than they needed to. They should have just at that point, you know, just do you think Mark it's Andy one of those Griffin. things where you think where it's, it's one of those things where maybe the coaches went to him and be like, look, you know, if we're up, you know, it's up to you. Like if you want some extra reps to kind of get yourself, you know, kind of play yourself back, back towards hundred percent, go for it. But if not, you know, you can pull yourself out. No harm, no foul. What do you do? do how much, how often do you coaches, do you think like give, give a senior like that, that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, leverage, I guess you would say. Well, I think it'd be more like, how do you feel? And yeah, I feel real good. All right. You know, you want to go out and give a little bit more? Sure. Let's do this and, and do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, because Isaiah is the kind of kid where he, where, you know, he would be honest with the coaching staff. I mean, he's 23 years old and he, you know, he's you know, been there. Hey, Isaiah, that. you want to, you want to go injuries. out there one more time? You, Isaiah, you want to go out there one more time? If, if, if not, it's okay. It's like, yeah, I want to get one more series in. I want to get one more series in. All right. No problem. Yeah, because I at that point you're having fun. You know, you're up big. Yeah. You know, you're you're having a good time. I mean, there's a risk in that because you know, injuries can happen in a blow. Oh, always seen is, it. Yeah, we've seen it happen. Uh, but you know that you have a, a guy like Coach uh, Malzahn who's, who's definitely a player's coach. You, you listen to him talk. He definitely comes off as a guy who's you know willing to work with with the player side as opposed mm-hmm. to kind of just run run the house with a an yeah. iron fist. Um. I, I, I would have taken him out personally. Uh, you know, I, I, but it, I'm not the coach. You know, I don't get paid millions of dollars to make that decision. Yeah. You know, it's easy when you talk in hindsight, but the first thing I, I commented is it's for, you know, in my stream of consciousness of tall, my game notes, uh, <laughs> it really is. I mean, you, you love what reading it. it pretty much. You can read this and understand what happened the whole game. You turned it. Well, you turned it into your knee jerk reactions, which is the best part, but anyway, well, yeah, it's, it's used for the basis. And I originally used it for other stuff um, for like observations and a recap, but that, that kind of evolved over time in the 2018 season into the knee jerk i think it was like game three is when i started doing it and i've been doing it ever since but, yeah uh, yeah the first i would love to i, I would quarter. love for you to just publish those raw notes <laughs> so you can see what they look like I mean, folks it is docs. it is it is a work of art it is it is a picasso it, it's stream that. of consciousness it's you know <laughs> you know just i don't know like like i even write some dumb things on there like uh last week <laughs> You know, the, the helmets were hard to read. Okay, I wrote that down. Uh, you know, and that actually led, led part to my uniform review, which at Eric's hey, assistance, yeah, I have put in there. And I think I'll leave it in there because, you know, it's it's important because, you know, we talk about it before the game. Oh, they look so great and great. How does it translate to, to the game itself, to TV? And in last case, in last week's case, I can tell you, not so good. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I, as you know, I have very fond feelings of the white nitro jersey that may hopefully die again and never brought back to life. Fond is not the word that I would use, but anyway, (laughs) a couple notes on Tulane. They're, they're, they're pretty, pretty bad at everything. 77th in total offense. Uh, 123rd in total defense. You're giving up 476 yards, but oh, terrible, but they're, uh, 
injury news for them. So um, their best weapon on offense has been uh, their quarterback, Michael Pratt. And uh, he's been hurt. He suffered a really bad, uh, a pretty bad concussion uh, when they played SMU back on October the 21st. But according to uh, Jerry, uh, or excuse me, Gary Smith of uh, the uh, of NOLA.com, uh, Pratt has not been cleared to play yet, but he was on the practice field Monday without his helmet and could start Saturday at UCF. Um, uh, Chip Long, uh, their offensive coordinator, said he looked great today. Obviously, it's out of our hands, but he moved around and threw the ball well. It was good to have his smile and energy back out there for our guys. Um, this is a game that they got crushed by SMU 55, 26, by the way. Um, Willie Fritz said that, uh, said that Pratt's status is quote, totally the doctor's call. I've learned not to guess on that. We're going to have Kai and Christian Daniels ready to go. Um, but if Pratt does play, um, that could be a, a problem for UCF's defense. I mean, Tulane is just listless on offense without him. Oh yeah, uh, totally. And have been the entire time. But it, so if he plays like that, you know, that could be, you know, that could make things a little bit more dicey. Um, you got to be prepared for him anyway. I mean, who knows? It could be a game time decision as far as Tulane's concerned. We don't know right now. Right. Because, you know, you look at Kai Horton, seven of 18 for 79 yards and three picks. Not great, Bob. Not great. <laughs> Uh, that's less than 39% yep. completion. Even Michael Pratt, not having a great year, less under 60%. Yeah, 100, uh, he's six, but 16 touchdowns, five interceptions, 199 yards per game. Um, I think what really, what really has been struggling, the real source of Tulane's struggles have been there, has been their, uh, their run game. Um, they're only running for 152 yards a game, 79th in the country. Um, Yes, yeah, they just haven't. Everything that worked for them a couple of years ago just is not working right now, and it's oh, and it's yeah. too bad, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, I do think it comes down to you know how tight the game might be is going to come down to Pratt and uh and, and does he you know does he play? If not, you know, it could be the same situation for UCF as it was uh, two weeks ago against Memphis, where you're playing a backup quarterback. All right. And so the other thing is to keep in mind is the turnover issue. There's a 1.4 turnover differential uh, for Tulane on the negative, you know. Yeah, negative 1.4 turnover margin. They they give up an average 1.4 more turnovers than they take away, whereas UCF is 0.6 the other way. They they average 0.6 more takeaways than giveaways. So that turnover battle is 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 going to be important. You know, UCF is going to have to, much like in previous weeks, uh, be opportunistic and and find ways to take the ball away and, and keep that offense on the sideline. Cause yeah, uh, Pratt has been a thorn before uh, Yusuf is playing close ha- has had to play uh, closer games and they should have been a- against Tulane. Uh, but this is a rough year uh, for, for Tulane. They, they started off really hot with a great close game against Oklahoma. And then the wheels just fell off. I mean, they had a, yeah. a win against Morgan state, you know, FCS squad, and then just, a bunch of L's and none of these games outside of UAB were close. And they, they, they lost double digits every game and they held Cincinnati in check for a while, but they couldn't do anything. They, they really couldn't do much. Cincinnati's defense just kept, you know, kept them 
quiet. And it was really yeah. Cincinnati getting out of their own way that, that turned that game. Uh, but Tulane has just been a massive disappointment. They were supposed to be, as you said, one of the, one of the, the sleepers in, in the American. And it turned out they just went to sleep. 0-4 in the conference, 1-7 overall. They didn't get uh, the memo. <laughs> they did not get the memo. Um, key games in the American this week. Uh, SMU is at Memphis Saturday at noon. Temple, well, nobody cares about Temple and ECU, so ECU should win that game easily. Cincinnati is at home for Tulsa. Um, that could be a little bit of a, a little bit of a, eh, maybe, right? now. I don't know. It depends on what Tulsa team shows up, but Cincinnati should take care of business on their home field. Navy's playing at Notre Dame in the annual game that, I don't know why they play that anymore. Um, <laughs> Houston and South Florida, uh, and that game's in Tampa. I uh, don't uh, expect the, much out of that one. Yeah, not expecting much out of that one either. And then, um, and then that's it for this week. You know, Cincinnati plays South Florida next week, Friday night. Yeah, you got UCF playing for bowl eligibility this week. They win; they'll have their sixth win. And True. Be bowl eligible. They'll be the fourth team in the conference to do it. And then you have East Carolina and Memphis at four wins each, still very much in the hunt. Uh, Navy and USF have their backs against the wall. They lose. There's your seventh loss, and I, I don't see them, you know, finding a way to squeak in. Tulsa and Temple, five losses, uh, red flags up. And then, of course, Tulane's already got seven. They're, they're pretty much done. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, you're expecting at least, I would say, probably two more two more teams in the bowl eligibility uh, besides UCF. So, there's, you're probably going to end up with six. Mm-hmm. It's not been a great year for the American top to bottom. Uh, the top end's been good, but uh, just top to bottom, it just hasn't been a great year. Uh, just well, I mean, well, you know. But Looking at that top end, you got Cincinnati overall records, right? Cincinnati at eight and zero, and Houston SMU at seven and one. That's really good. Then you got this really thick middle. It, well, the 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 middle is the middle's the problem. There's really no stat. I mean, UCF is is kind of an underachiever because of the injury to to Dylan Gabriel. It kind of yeah. derailed the season. He, if he didn't get hurt, they probably would only have one loss. But I mean, that's just the way it is. Uh, but after that, I four and four, three and five. I mean, there's, just, there's really no standout second tier team outside of UCF in this group. And it, and it just kind of dies off there. Mm-hmm. The problem with what Houston was that bad loss against Texas tech. Uh, yeah. Of course it's the, it was their season opener. It was the only loss that they've had this year, but I mean, that's not a good loss. Texas tech five and four, not a good loss. It's, that's kind of been didn't look so them. bad at the time. Yeah. I mean, it's been dogging them all the rest of the year. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like, conversely, you look at the Big 12 and you have, what, three teams with five wins. You have three teams already bowl eligible and another two at four wins. So you're looking at only two teams that may not even be bowl eligible by the time the season's done. So that, right. that shows that difference uh, in, in talent because it's the out-of-conference games that really separate, you know, one conference from the other because they're all going to cannibalize each other once they get in the conference play. So those, those that Texas Tech loss, that was big. That was that was big in the, yeah. in the credibility Golly, of the American Houston. That Texas Tech man, goodness me! And Sonny Cumbie's their head coach now. By the way, they fired they fired Matt Wells. Um, uh, they've lost. They gave up Texas Tech. Look at what they did here. They gave up seventy to Texas, fifty-two to TCU. They lost to Kansas State by one, and then they gave fifty-two at Oklahoma last week, and. You know, I can excuse the Oklahoma 
the Oklahoma loss. I can even kind of excuse the TCU loss. But that the Kansas State and the Texas game, my God, you got to get those one. You, you, you can't get those back. And their uh, and their their problem has actually been on uh, their pass defense. They've been getting toasted in the back end, um, and that's something that Houston should have been able to take care of right away, but they just didn't. And that's too bad because you know could you imagine right now like had Houston won that game, we'd have eight and five and Houston and eight and four and Cincinnati, and they're not playing in the regular season. Like that, it's it's collision course time in the American. I mean, that would be, man, unbelievable. That 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 Texas Tech loves that. I got I got to I got to give a shout out to to our uh, to our boys from the Scott and Holland podcast covering Houston because like I'm sure that they're looking at that game like they they just want to smash their head into their keyboard. Unbelievable. Yeah, but, and, and that Tech team started three and zero before getting yeah. slaughtered by Texas. Then, you know. Four and one, and then granted, it was against after after Houston. It was against Stephen F. Austin and FIU, but but still, I mean, and and yeah, that and that Austin one was only by six points. But I mean, still, yeah, you play to win the game. They beat West Virginia, and then the wheels started falling off. Yeah, Uh, win against Kansas is kind of like being the sisters of the poor. You know, know? (laughs) it's basically an FCS game. (laughs) It kind of is. I mean, you know, it's going to take a while if. Kansas can be salvaged. Um, yeah. You know they they've got bigger problems on their football program. Yeah. By the way, um, I do uh, have to. We should give a shout out to your boy Christian Simmons, um, who who's feeling better. Who is feeling better? Uh, and sh- and and brought up a uh, a good point. Mikey Keene has ten touchdown passes and six interceptions on the year. Uh, with uh, you know, this many games to go, right? Mackenzie Milton, his true freshman year, had 10 touchdowns and seven interceptions the whole year. Well, I mean, this... I know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying, I am not saying Mikey Keene is the next Mackenzie Milton, but I'm just saying, you got to give, you got to give true freshman quarterbacks, you know, some slack. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to give him some slack because he's not supposed to be playing this year. This was never the plan. Uh, Unlike Milton, who had to come in because... uh, Holman got hurt. Justin Holman got hurt, and and that's what put Mackenzie Milton in there. Right. Justin Holman came back, and Milton kept playing. Uh, Yeah. The the, the talent difference between Dylan Gabriel and Justin Holman... Well, well, it was was clear... Well, I mean, history lesson, right? It was clear in 2016 that Justin Holman was not the guy to be running Scott Frost's offense, which is (laughs) why not the guy to be running a lot of things. Because 2015, you know, he was, he was, well, 20, no, 2015, he got hurt. 24, I mean, he was obviously very up in it. But listen, I'm still, I still, I still have my lapel pin as the president of the Justin Holman fan club because (laughs) that dude, especially, especially in 2016. The as a senior and the coaching change and everything, the ping ponging back and forth is he playing? Is he not? Not once did that guy complain, not once, and he had every right to, but not once did he. And, um, and that's a tribute to his character, it's a tribute to him. That's true, well, right? He was brought so, in under George O'Leary, he was meant to run a different style of offense, he didn't fit the spread. Uh, I mean, it was no, it was no, he's he's your classic six foot five 
you know, laser rocket arm drop back pass. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, he was, yeah. he was literally created in a lab to play traditional quarterback. He was created to, to throw the hail Perryman. <laughs> yeah. And you always had that Justin Holman. Shout I out to always Justin. say 2014 is the worst conference champion in UCF's history. Hey, flags uh, fly defense, forever, though, baby. That defense was one of the best UCF has ever that's, had. That's that's true. Flags <laughs> fly forever. Can't take them away. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, once again, oh, uh, kickoff for this game too. By the way, we talking about totally 4 p.m. homecoming at the bounce house. ESPNU. Uh, ESPNU. Not on ESPN Plus. Uh, Kevin Brown and Hudson Mason, former Georgia quarterback Hudson Mason, calling the game. Um, hey, did you see who the music act is? Mm-mm. Sister Hazel. I didn't know they were still still doing a thing. Yeah, there's listen. There's credit to those dudes, man. They still stuck. They were like they they have been riding the wave of those record sales in the '90s. They they play. They every once in a while they get back together. They go around. They play it. They play at Disney during at, at Epcot during Food and Wine every year. They're one of my wife's favorite bands, so uh, so we always we would always go down to Food and Wine when they were playing to see them. And I mean, I like them. I mean, I, you know, but here they are playing. Dog-ops. Yeah, I know. Well, they're playing. They're playing here at UCF, and you know, my family's going to be at this game, and. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm planning on barring some sort of unforeseen medical issue going to be at this game too. Um, back after finally recovering and figuring and figuring out how I can, how I can, you know, get you, through you uh, levitate. That'll solve all your problems. Just levitate. I know. I know. I, you know, listen, I'm working on it. like, you know, it, for a while there, I was thinking like, you know, Hey, wheel me in just like they on, on the bed, just like they did with uh, what's his name at Liberty. uh uh you freeze you freeze but it just wheel me in on the hospital bed with the microphone and i'll and i'll call the game from there because it it's it's been rough like you know my you know the the back issues have been rough but you know i'm slowly but surely recovering and we got some doctor's appointments uh sucks doesn't it no fall like (laughs) no What, what really sucks is was like 10 years of hauling around heavy DVC pro cameras and then seven years of hauling kids around. Right. I, I, did, I did the Sousa phone thing, uh, but those, those probably sit a little bit better on your shoulder than the cameras. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> to say the least, but, um, but yeah, I'll be ready for, I'll be ready for Saturday, 4 PM kick on ESPNU. No game time set for SMU yet. Although the Yukon game is set for three, 4 p.m. on ESPN plus on November the 20th. And also, uh, no, we have the the time window for the war on I-4 narrowed down to two times. Right. It's either going to be 330 or or 7. And and it could be on ABC or ESPN. We don't 100% know yet. My Um, money's going to be on ESPN. Yeah. I'm not willing to guess right now, but I know the one factor. And I think it's going to be Dylan Gabriel. If Dylan Gabriel's back, I think they put the game on ABC. Until he's back, he's not back. I'll go with that. But until he's back, he's not back. So, but you know what? Hey, one way or the other, we'll have that game on national TV, and uh, as it should be, as it should be, and and a a chance. By the way, chance, Drew. After all these years, for UCF to to finally take the lead in the all-time series in football. Hey, they got they got two more games left before. 
the the conference move because all you know all signs mm-hmm. point to 2023 being the move date. You just it's not official, but all signs point to it. So you got two more games left in in on the football side. Uh, you have a chance to to pull ahead by two when you walk away because it's going to be a number of years before they can actually play again. You know, right, they're out of conference schedules locked, you know, locked in unless unless something changes. Unless something changes and the Big Twelve decides to be charitable. Not outside the realm of possibility. <laughs> I said charitable. Not outside. Listen, not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, I, listen, know I know I'm one of the few UCF fans who are out on this island. Yeah. Well, I, I know I'm one of the few UCF fans who are outside on who are out on this island saying, guys, a healthy USF is good for UCF. Yeah, maybe good in for a few UCF. Years. It's good for the state of Florida and college football. But man, USF, you have got to step it up, man. You got to make the commitment. That, and that's where I was going, was going, maybe in a few years, but that that administration has shown no sign of any real commitment. They got to the Big East and they did nothing. They well, sat I mean, they're, 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 the difference between UCF and USF is that, is that USF, you know, UCF's administration allowed, you know. Embraced. Al- they embraced. They, they allowed athletics to grow, whereas USF's administration wants to exhibit, their, their school administration wants to exhibit too much control over the athletic department. And I mean, there are, there are perfectly reasonable and logical reasons for both of those things. Well, but, it depends what your focus is. But if you want to be classified as a major athletic institution, that's not the way to do it. You know, UCF had the, you know, during the time, at that time, you know, built the, the indoor practice facility, uh, built the stadium. USF had the money to do it. They could have made it work. And they chose not to. They were making, yep. uh, they had a much more, you know, uh, financially lucrative deal between the BCS and their media deal with the Big East. They chose not to. And then you had the payout from the Catholic Seven, uh, which, you know, spread over a number of years was was a very lucrative thing too. And and they piddled it away. And, and yeah. you, you can't you can't feel sorry for them because they had so many opportunities to do something, do anything. We're going to have to work on that article that week, Drew. We're going to have to update it. What? 25 reasons, 25 ways USF completely blew it. I think you can make it 26 now. Big 12. Should that count as like another three, like another five reasons alone? Um, I mean, you could probably modify a couple of them, just like update them. (laughs) We'll talk about it. I think think Big 12 is another way they blew it. Yeah. Another 12. Another it's just 12 gonna be reasons. kind of off with if should they get should they <laughs> you know should the big 12 be charitable like you alluded to and bring them in uh, i don't think they should um not you got to give them a reason you got to give them a reason not and right now there's no reason yeah they've they've shown no uh commitment to to excellence and, yeah. and that's where it comes down to the location there you go great. al davis <laughs> yeah so the location is great you know tampa's a great location makes a great travel partner but you don't want to bring in a dead weight you know, you want to bring in a school that that has put in the time and the effort. You know, Memphis, for all their football failings, is at least trying to do something. Uh, I, give cre- let's say, I give credit. They ride the basketball wave perfectly, mm-hmm. right? But And they've, in more recent years, have tried to invest more in their football. And yeah. we saw... But they're, they're kind of doing the opposite of what Temple is doing, right? Like, the, like they are... They are basketball is still pulling football, where, like, Temple is still kind of... They're, they're all in on football. But they can't figure out how to do it. But they can't figure out. But yeah, but they can't figure out how to do it. Memphis at least understands, you know, what it takes. 
Um, right. And and they're you know they're they're working on trying to find ways to make football better. You know they're yeah. they're stuck at the Liberty Bowl. It's an aging stadium. It's off campus. They know that. Um, so they're they're looking at at future options. You know, it may not be on campus, but they're looking at future options. They're actually trying to do something, and and they've been trying to do something, and they put product on the field that is respectable. Yeah, you know, they you know two conference runner ups and then a conference championship after that. You know, that's a great three year run right there. Uh, you 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 can't ignore it. All right, all right. This first segment's taking us a while. We're gonna take a break. When we come back. Basketball. It's our time. New, it's hoops time. It's hoops time. And listen, and we got to bring along our new friend, Kyle Nash. He's going to talk about what went on at media day today for UCF basketball. Uh, and then also Bryson Turner is going to join us to talk about uh, everything going on, including, hey, the conference realignment shuffle. UCF's not done with it because the Big 12 does not sponsor men's soccer. And where is men's soccer going to go? Bryson and I wrote about that. We'll discuss it a little bit later in the show. But first, basketball with Kyle when we return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. Back after. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon back with you here and joining me now, Eric Lopez, for this basketball segment, along with the student of the game himself making his Black and Gold Banneret Podcast debut. He has arrived, ladies and gentlemen, Kyle Nash. V-S-O-T-G on Twitter, the OG in your hearts. Kyle, welcome aboard, my man. Hey, I I love being here. I love the setup. And hey, for those that are into Easter eggs and teasers, behind me is an original from the artist who Eric Lopez is going to be talking to this weekend. So there's a little bit of a drop for you as the, as the new company man. There you go. I dig this. I I dig this very, very much. Uh, uh, So first of all, like we said, we're really happy to have you on board. We're excited. You've you, uh, you're, you, you've increased the IQ on this show, which is not really hard to do, but you've done it. So congrats. <laughs> I'm glad it's Eric saying that and not me. Um, <laughs> the uh, uh, And uh, you were today at uh, UCF Basketball uh, Media Day uh, for both the men and the women. Uh, expectations are – it's always a game of expectations, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and, and the funny thing is about Media Day, Kyle, like how many times have the three of us – been to these media days like i i don't want to say i can't stand media days but it's like you're you're you know they're not really what they used to be mm-hmm. in terms of like you know it used to be like this is the time when you write your preview but now in the age of 24 7 content they've they've kind of lost that purpose so but instead you know we're able to just kind of see the coaches and see the players and and kind of and and a lot of people who are really you know do some fun stuff so let me get your overall impressions so far of, you know, of, uh, of each team. And I want to start with the women because, you know, they were the, um, they're picked second in the American, uh, behind USF, the defending champions, but UCF had, you know, last year had a couple chances to knock them off. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. They, they played three times. Um, I get the feeling that that still sticks in their craw. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, when, when, when you, when you hear what you do, when you hear what you do about these teams, um, both these teams overall, but especially with the women um, toughness, 
is really kind of their bread and butter, right? Uh, to, uh, talking some to uh, to Coach Abe, she herself um, during the press conference, and I ran into her and spoke to her a bit afterward, like she is not about this chuck it from the cheap seat style, right? So that actually relays on the court. Yeah. They're a tough group. They want to defend you. They want to stop you. And then they want to beat you down low as well. Um, but I'll tell you. It, They're kind it, of zigging where everyone zags. Correct. You know, in terms of style of play. But, you know, talking to Britney, uh, talking to Britney Smith about it, though, there's a word she used a lot. Um, what she saw uh, throughout, you know, preparation um, through the offseason here is that they're looking to build balance. They want to be able to have more than one scorer who's reliable and be able to score with more types of opportunities. Right. So from that standpoint, you know, say what you will about, you know, the offense of this team last year, they have addressed it and, and they're looking to uh, hit the ground running or hit the floor running, so to speak. Hit the floor running. That's very good. Now, of course, the key cog the running that offense and the defense is Diamond Battles, who the last time we saw her was in the NCAA tournament going down with a scary injury, missed yeah. the entire game. Getting they carted lost off the, the floor, yep. Correct. With a lower leg injury. What is her status? Was uh, What was kind of the, the word around her from Coach Abel or even Diamond herself? Oh, yeah. I mean, she's so ready to go. It didn't even really come up very much. Like she is ready to strike and shine bright like a diamond and battle through the, the start of the season and get things going. Oh, I mean, you I, had that. Look at this guy. Up. Oh, that my God. Fire, baby. You know I have oh, my God. All right. <laughs> Don't worry, Jeff. I didn't do it in person with them. I didn't embarrass us <laughs> like that. Okay, great. That means I, that totally means you did. Anyway, carry on. I really didn't. I, hey, listen, I'm not like Drew. I'm not trying to cause that much trouble. Eric, I, I it's official. I can I can now pass the dad the black and gold banneret dad joke torch to Kyle Nash. He officially owns. Oh, it. I expect it. I've hung out with Kyle so. for years. I mean, you, this is this is he's got better material than this. Uh, I, I've had many <laughs> oh, a times. He does? At, All right, at well, media sessions. Well, I will to, fully uh, expect to not get that belt back again. Anyway, carry wait, on, Kyle. You're, you're in, this is another notch on my dad joke belt. You think this is the only show I drop dad jokes on? Please step the game up. <laughs> all right so, so so diamond diamond's ready to go oh yeah without question right. uh, you know uh, and all of them I, I mean again this is something that's true of both groups but uh, you know again the women are just excited to kind of see what their expanded game looks like you know they want to to go on the floor and show people hey look we could score this way now it's 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 gonna be fun to see once they hit the floor starting uh, i believe it's next uh tuesday that they hit yeah. the start so. i'm a little surprised and and i wonder if anyone asked you about this only one UCF player was named to any of the preseason uh, all-conference teams. That was Tay <laughs> Sanders on the first team. <laughs> Meanwhile, look at it. One, two, three, four, five players from South Florida. I know. They, on the who, first and second Who knew team. they turned into UConn all of a I sudden? I know. Huh? I know. So, uh, it, I now, guess it's those extra play. hours they illegally uh, did. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Well, Mia Davis of Temple was named the preseason player of the year, but... Uh, did that come up in conversation about, you know, the the lack of recognition of this team that has been, consi you know, con a consistent performer in the league over the last several years? And and let's face it, was a, a few buckets away from winning the regular season title. No, absolutely. Uh, it didn't really come up a lot um, in conversation, per se. But when um, um, when it was uh, when Coach Abe was asked about the rivalry with the team that is projected number one uh, yeah. in the conference. Unanimous selection, by the way. Um, you know, uh, uh, Coach Abe fielded it and said, um, I don't know that there's any addition to the animosity. Great coach speak there, too. Not, not, 
you know, but I don't know if um, there's any more. Um, yeah, not necessarily a comment on the on the amount of animosity that currently exists. Well, I think the word she actually <laughs> used intensity. I'll be fair, um, but um, you know, and, and just gave the speech of you know I have great respect for Jose on and on, which is code for when it's time, it's beatdown time. You know, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 the while the specific rivalry itself didn't come up, um, the thing that everybody was harping on was uh, how everything is so much the same and how this group has, has just somehow found a way to grow. And it's funny, coach, a mentioned having, uh, concentrating on extra time developing because of familiarity. Mm. If you want to read between the lines and see something veiled about doing that the right way, I'll let you do so as fans. But, um, what I will add is as far as something different that coach, a felt like she saw her answer was very unique. You know, when I asked her about, What's different? And she goes, competition. Not just so much against the other uh, teams in the conference or, or their excellent uh, out-of-conference schedule, but within the walls uh, of, of the UCF team themselves, right? You're not – the way she put it is you have to beat somebody out to get playing time, and you got to try to beat Diamond. you got to try to beat Brittany. you got to try to beat Tay, and that is no simple task. So – with that competition in mind, uh, what's the what's the saying? Iron sharpens iron? You know, that's kind of the picture painted here. Could the same be said for the men's side? What did Coach Dawkins have to say? Got a lot of players coming back. Right. I would imagine it's a similar uh, thing said over there with Coach Dawkins about the men's side. Sure. Well, that was mentioned. It was less of a focus, really, from, from um, Coach Dawkins' uh, point of view. His response was stability when asked what he has this year that he doesn't have last year because they were uniquely, I mean, name the program gentlemen and UCF was among the top programs, not just in the conference, but the bleeding nation when it comes to dealing with uh, stoppages or outages of play or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and that stability is, you know, coach Dawkins alluded to having only five guys at practice and, and they're really kind you imagine? of <laughs> so who do you play against? <laughs> uh, listen, the I mean, managers. <laughs> closest thing I could relate it to was playing semi-pro football, and we only had three offensive linemen, so we could we had to tell the defense to line up on only one side. We're going to run this play. So I felt like, <laughs> but um, Man. yeah, you know, as far as that too, the other thing that the players were really harping on to is is they are just anxious to hit the court. They're sick of playing one another. And nobody else, they want to see some opposition and they're ready for it. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's always the case, right? I mean, they want, you know, it's, you, you practice against somebody, you know, familiarity at some point, I think does breed contempt, but you know, we're less than one week away from their opener on Wednesday night against Robert Morris at 7 PM uh, at, uh, at addition financial arena. I think a lot of people sort of, uh, you know, the guys that are coming back, I think in particular, are what really get everybody excited. Um, I, we didn't think, or we were on the record thinking that Darius Perry would not come back, and he is coming back for a fifth year. Mm-hmm. Isaiah Adams has another year of experience under his belt. Jameel Reynolds looked really good in, in places last year. Um, and then, of course, you got, you know, CJ Walker and Darren Green and Dre Fuller and, um, and and Brandon Mahan, who actually was in the transfer portal, and he decided to to dip back out of the transfer portal and come back. So, of all the guys that are on there, these returners, when we saw some real talent, and I, and I, you know, I'm, and again, I 
I love me some C.J. Walker. I just think he's in a, a phenomenally talented player. Who's the player that you got the most that you left you with the impression of? Okay, this this guy's ready for a huge year. Oh, uh, with for me, it's it's uh, both Isaiah Adams and uh, Dre Fuller. I mean, they 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 both felt to me the most fiery. And and it's funny the the guys when I ask them what's different between um, last year and this year that could help you bring success um, in a single word, Dre had mentioned depth, which is exactly what you were talking about. I mean, yep. he and I joked, you know, uh, about the fact that, well, I'm, I'm covering you guys for the first time. It sounds like I'm, it's lucky I'm scuba certified, you know, with the depth that you're talking about, you know, there's your dad oh, joke. Hey, I said, oh, that Lord. Lord. <laughs> I told you, I told you, he thought it was funny, boss. You better answers. I'm just doing my job. <laughs> all right um well but you mentioned the depth here kyle I, I, you mentioned the depth here because i think both teams have high expectations look every ucf team has high expectations i mean you know uh, the women's soccer team you know is going to be in the bubble there's a lot of people disappointed right now with their bubble that's what expectations are right. what has the word expectations come up today with the men's and the women because both have depth both have a lot returning and oh yeah there's that big 12 kind of on the future on the horizon there as well i'm sure that came up yeah and, and you know both coaches kind of addressed it uniquely um that um they're concentrating on where they're at in the american and and going out with a banging american uh, not the, not their words with that but you can tell that they want to win the tournament every player when i ask them other than getting your shoes on and going to the dance what is the thing you'd like to see happen to make the six seasons uh, season successful every one of them said winning a conference uh championship and, you know, from that standpoint, it seems kind of obvious, but the fact that that all of them feel like that that is I don't want to say it's a, a, a definite occurrence, but they expect to win the conference championship. And, and, and Coach Dawkins himself was asked point Blake in the press conference. Do you think this is a tournament team? And he said without hesitation that the answer was yes. Yeah, I, I mean. I think they're in a perfect position to really surprise some people because of the bat. You know, injury luck is injury luck, right? You know, we learned that with football this year, and we learned it with basketball last year. But even so, you know, this the, the men were picked fifth in the preseason poll behind Wichita, SMU, Memphis, and Houston at the very top. Mm-hmm. Um, Houston and Memphis got the first place votes, but you know it. it in a scenario where you get into that conference, that conference tournament, you know, this is a team that I think could really, you know, cause some havoc. So, it, it, but are they thinking like, you know, do they want to, do you see it as more like a, a year where they develop and they figure out the depth and then they get hot at the right time? Or is this a team that could like really surprise some people from the very word go and, and, and put together a real regular season run? Well, yeah, and, and let me reiterate this. This is what I feel like is going to happen is that the reason um, their record on paper looks bad, you know, uh, air quotes bad, I'll say, right? Um, and and that's, I think Coach Dawkins himself even focused on this specifically. I mentioned the five guys practicing and all the outages and stuff. Yep. You don't have that stability piece is what we're talking about. And now players, um, both men's and women's obviously, uh, have had a summer to work with their peers and develop. And they're going to do things that you didn't see before. Now the women might look familiar because um, they were able to have more success and perhaps be more cohesive. But in the case of the gentlemen, like what, what you got to understand is they're going to have 
uh, a better identity of what it is they're doing. There's a lot less, how you say, movement, in, in, from what I can tell, in mm -hmm. what kind of strategy that they're using on the floor. And, and you know, let's not let's not rule out uh, Cheek and Bake here as a transfer. He's already a captain. That's going to change something in the identity yeah. of this team, right? And it's something like, listen, we're not there. Um, or at least I know I haven't been there at all these practices and all these sessions and stuff to see that kind of stuff develop. Um, it's an unfair task to try to evaluate um, uh, these teams in particular, but any team in the nation uh, in the basketball space because of all the gaps in stability of schedules and things like that yeah. because of COVID. So, you know, I, I wouldn't take it as a slight because what else do they have to go on? And because of that, I think they're lower. Well, than and the league is strong. I mean, Memphis is yeah. loaded. Houston's a Final Four team. The men's conference is much stronger than the women. The women, I, there's, it's a big gap from one and two, and then everybody else. Right, but I would also say that the men last year, the last year, this is a team that won seven of its last ten, sure. and two of the games they lost were by a combined two points. Right, five of the last. So, yeah, and uh, and they were they were on a pretty good hot streak. They had won five in a row prior to getting eliminated from the conference tournament uh, against Memphis by eight. So, you know, you can it's it you don't have to look too hard to see like there's there's something there that's really that's that's you know brewing right now. I don't know if it's fully cooked, but you know it's it's on the verge of boiling. I think. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the surprise from jump is going to happen, and it's up to Dawkins to continue to manage the personalities of the team to continue building. Like, I, I, I would hate to use the parallel with football, but it's the same as Malzana said, the second half of the year we're looking to build and get better. They may have to do the, the same thing uh, in order to achieve true success in the back half of the year and make noise in the tournament. Um, without having tons of injuries like the football team has. But yeah. um, the, 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 I think the real chance is, uh, Eric, you point out that this is a tougher space on the men's side, and you're absolutely right. But that's the nature of tournament sport, right? They're in a position where they could have that puncher's chance and make some noise, you know? Well, and they better get used to it because it, they're going to go to the number one conference in men's college basketball in two years when they go to the Big yeah. 12. So right. they better get but used to it. From an that. already very good conference, by the yeah. way. I, I, I'm glad you guys mentioned that, too, because both coaches, you know, were asked about the RPI and, and uh, Coach Dawkins in particular mentioned. Um, and I think Coach A might have alluded to it as well. Um, the, the tough out of conference schedule isn't just for RPI, but to prepare the program as a whole of what the future is going yep. to look like. Because it's yep. not just ooh, a nice out of conference. Yeah, that's life upcoming, <laughs> right? Yes. No, absolutely. Look, from a from a fan standpoint, there is no sport that's a bigger winner going to the Big 12 than basketball. Oh, no level doubt. of basketball. No I mean, it is going to be incredible on both sides, especially on the men. I'm telling you, it's still going to be the number one conference. You got a marquee franchise like Kansas. That's down the road. You picked a good time to join us, Kyle, this year. Because <laughs> I would argue that both the men and the women this year, as far as their schedule, have the biggest non-conference home game in the history of both programs the women will be hosting tennessee which is one of the biggest brands in the history of women's basketball arguably women's athletics mm -hmm. and then the men will get a, a visit from jawan howard in michigan who's a national title contender and a huge brand in all of college athletics wait wait on 30th. okay wait a second wait a second wait a second wait a second so you eric lopez are telling me that when memphis who was a Mario Chalmers three-point basket away from winning a national championship. That team didn't come here that year. 
Memphis didn't, didn't come, come here, here that year. I no, not Derrick Rose year didn't come here. I trust me. Oh, I was not happy that I didn't see Derrick Rose in person. I, I follow. Oh, I, oh, I, oh they yeah, were not right. I forgot. They were that. not there. Yeah. But that, by the way, but second of all, that's a conference game. That was a conference. What I'm saying, this is still, the biggest. Still a big game. It's is, a big game. Is not Oklahoma, but, but the biggest as well. That's what I would ask. Yeah, Oklahoma is good, but Michigan is a national title contender this year. They are legit. They're playing arguably, you know, one of the, you know they they can win it all. That's marquee. The the Fab Five, Michigan basketball, the jerseys, the best jerseys in college basketball, maybe it, there. And then Tennessee, man, Pat Summit, anyway. Kelly Harper, the women. I mean, this is a huge step for these programs because you all three of us we went to school here. This was a pipe dream ten years ago. This would have never happened. This it's a credit to both coaches. Well, yeah, well, yeah, it's it is a credit to both coaches, but it's also a credit to the progress prog- progress that the the program has made in general, right? I mean, there's no way Michigan goes on the road to play an Atlantic Sun Conference team or even a Conference USA team. Hmm. Play a team in the America for sure, yeah. not for sure, yeah, for sure. I mean, you're well, was there a talk? The was there talk about that, Kyle? Was there talk about the schedule from that standpoint? Oh, absolutely, yeah, and and I think it's it's it, it goes with that same. This is going to be life upcoming. Yeah. And, and how these are just huge programs and things that are happening and coming up. But the reason why I want to make sure we mention the Oklahoma game, guys, is that it's not just, listen, I'm a, da- I'm a data guy, so I deal in anomalies and trying to spot trends, right? Ooh. And it's, it's, this Michigan game isn't an anomaly for the men. You have more than one big-name conference coming to town. Oh, I agree. I agree. And, no, and You're right. Yeah, it's that consistency of the scheduling that's a huge deal. Like, yeah. listen, at every at everybody can say, uh, "Oh, we played this." I, I remember going back far enough um, playing FSU in state was a big damn deal for the school, right? Right. You know, now you're consistently getting people from states away to come to our house and see us as peers. I mean, you know, heck, football fans are probably jealous when they put that together. <laughs> <laughs> Parker Moser is the head don't coach get, at Oklahoma. It's a final on that one. He's a final four head coach. You're not. I mean, they're going to Auburn too. They, they play Florida State in Sunrise. They're playing at Miami, and that and that's on the men's side. We haven't even talked the women's side. They're going to play USC down uh, later on the schedule. Arkansas is coming to UCF. Here's the bottom line: there are no more excuses for fans not to to support and cover this this these two programs in the arena. That's yep. it. Those, those those days of ah, you know, you're going to see some marquee basketball. It's better than the NBA Southeastern Division, except for the Heat. When the Heat come to town, you can come see the match. But if, I, somebody, if I hear another, if I hear another person say, "Oh well, our schedule," you know, we always play these, these the schedule. I'm like, really? We got Michigan coming to town. Yeah. We, had Oklahoma, we had we had we got Oklahoma coming. To, Oklahoma would have been in last year. We had Auburn in last year. Yep. yep. We're going to them this year, right? I just I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear anything about the weakness of the schedule because the schedule is strong. All right, and like you were saying, Kyle, it's only going to get stronger in the next couple of years. Right. Yeah. Because the conference games will come in and do all that. Absolutely. And gentlemen, right. as you guys are definitely fans and, and, and I find myself when I'm in there, you know, to be, I'm more like Murph in that I'm more, you know, uh, unbiased, like, but I will say oh, this oh. Two fans <laughs> that are, are, are a very, a very, um, a uh, very passionate about their programs. If you're any bit superstitious, here's what I will give you. The year I started covering UCF football was 2017. And here oh, I was man. thinking it was all Murph, the reason they won. It was you all along. Murph yeah, rode your okay. coattails, huh? You know, I mean, he wouldn't be the first. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Kyle Nash, student of the game, relative newcomer to UCF. No, I'm just kidding. Not a relative newcomer to UCF. 
<laughs> but a newcomer to us here at Black and Gold Banneret. We're so happy to have you on board, Kyle. We, you and I have crossed paths so many times in the press box, and you've crossed paths with everybody else on the staff way too many more times. Than I can. I, you know, you're a good friend of Drew's, and you've been around him for a long time. But you know, <laughs> we are so happy to have you on board because you do great work, and uh, and I'm glad that you're doing it for us. And so you will be part of our little uh, our little project going forward. And uh, and fan. It, while we're at it, make sure you tell the fans how they can reach out to you so you so that you can start getting our patented black and gold banner at hate mail. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, if you're not getting hate mail, you're not doing it right, ladies and gentlemen. Right. I'm just saying. And hey, this is <laughs> this will be the first time I do my rundown from where I can be found and stuff, right? Um, first of all, obviously, you know, honor, joy, and privilege to be with you guys as well. Um, I remember Elo being part of my morning drives to work in his day when he was on the radio. Ah, oh, the good old days. Good times. Get up at four thirty in the morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good times. Don't miss that part. You know, yeah, right. I, I was only up a couple hours later because I was working at a hospital. So I know the life, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the, I appreciate you guys coming up uh, uh, and, and bringing me on board and doing my thing. Of course, you can find me on Twitter. I am Kyle Nash, the student of the game. You can find me on Twitter at the SOTG. Find me on Instagram as the same, the SOTG. Find me on Facebook as the student of the game. And of course, in the upcoming future here, check out my writings surrounding UCF basketball with the black and gold banneret, of course. Um, I'm doing other stuff for UCF right now uh, in other places. I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about that or not here. You but... can do that. Yes. Okay. Of course, you can Listen. check out uh, my football offerings as well when I'm not going to be talking to Elo as well at the three-point conversion, conversion.com. Of course, my work with the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you want to see how much of uh, how much Shaq Griffin, Shaq Griffin has grown up as a leader, check out some of that stuff. He's a guy who's taken over Prince press conferences in his own in his own right. Fun stuff to watch there, <laughs> and um, and of course, uh, check out my pop culture stuff here with hilarity by default with my friend Demosthenes Euclid. I mention that because you might have an Aaron Evans sighting once again there, once a, uh, once more time talking about the longest yard, getting some art and football. I dig this. So I dig this right. Burning the candle at all kinds of different ends. Kyle Nash, but somehow he manages to find time for us here on Black and Gold Banneret. Thanks again, Kyle. Thanks for getting down to uh, media. And also, I know you'll be coming up with some stuff progressively as we do that. We'll be sharing it out. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, also, want to thank Noah Goldberg for uh, for meeting up. Uh, and he beat me too. I was going to shout him out. but Yeah, and he's uh, getting some photos at Media Day. Um, and he's going to be helping us out getting some good photography too. So we know how much you guys love that. And Noah's just... Uh, a real pro he's got he's got uh, he's already gotten some great photos from men's soccer and from volleyball which are two sports we will be talking about in a little bit with bryson turner when we get back from this break kyle thanks again brother hey and my first time to drop my departure here as kyle nash doing the game here at the black and gold banner ray class dismissed all right stick around we'll be right back it's the black and gold banneret podcast Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon with you here. Along with me is Bryson Turner. Uh, the Wiz Kid is uh, here to talk about some, uh, well, we're approaching postseason uh, for a couple of UCF sports, but are we? Uh, this was a rough week for both UCF soccer teams. We're going to update you on them, and volleyball just continues to roll. We've also got some tennis to talk about, too, here. But, um, Bryson, let's start off by talking about women's soccer. Um, it was, they are very much on the bubble right now. Uh, this past weekend, they fell in the first round of the American athletic conference women's soccer tournament. 
Um, they lost uh, up in Memphis two to nothing. Uh, and right now they're, uh, the situation for them is, is really dicey. They're eight, seven, and one. They finished three, four, and one in the conference. They really needed that win over Memphis and they've lost their last two. Um, obviously the three to one to Cincinnati and the two, nothing to Memphis. They really needed at least one of those because right now, as we look at them in the RPI, all right. Um, they are very much on the, on the bubble. Uh, they're at 56. Yeah. 56 in the RPI. And we, and Chris Henderson, we've had on the show. He's a friend of the show. Um, you know, Mr. Uh, NCAA women's soccer himself in his latest projections that he updated. Uh, now on Halloween, he had his, he had his tournament uh, bubble cheat sheet and he had UCF in the green uh, as, uh, as the 40, as team number 47 uh, in the RPI uh, league finish, not great, but wins over Penn state, Ole Miss and Texas should be enough to get them in. They said that they were looking good. Well, most re- just recently, he just updated them, and UCF dropped their RPI. Their RPI dropped down nine spots to fifty-six, and he downgraded them from green to yellow, could, which means could go either way. Um, his outlook on them says RPI rank and league finish not great. Penn State, Ole Miss, and Texas wins should be enough if the rest of the bubble doesn't move up. So this is a really dicey spot that that UCF finds themselves in women's soccer right now. Bryson, do you think they're going to get in? I mean, if I were to base it off of their performances in the last few weeks, I would say no. I mean, I would legitimately hope so because these players, because a lot of these players deserve it. And I will get into that, but if I were to just base it off the last couple of games, I would just say, I would say no. I mean, it's, I would argue it's just kind of sort of a collapse in a way. Um, lo- looking at the, looking at the stats uh, since, since while well, Cincinnati, the Cincinnati match was very much like a low offense match on both sides. Cincinnati mm-hmm. just got more oppor- just got more opportunities into the goal there for Memphis it was just com- completely being shut down at least run off yeah. at, like on just the whole team just got shut down. The Memphis shot the ball 20 times, eight of them on goal. UCF shot the ball two times, one of the, one of them on goal. And honestly, really shocking corner kicks. Also yeah. Memphis had a seven to one advantage. Yeah, this um, week, I don't know what happened. I have no this, idea. Well, it's it, this week. I would just say it's just, um, if it, if we haven't already, it's an indictment of the UCF offense of this offense, because if looking at these stats, there have been 31 goals scored by, by UCF women's soccer this season, 10 of them come from just Kristen Scott alone. And even then she's normally scored like two goals, a match normally. So essentially is my, my point is that one third of all of UCF's goals come from this one player and she doesn't score and she doesn't score every game either. The, essentially what essentially this offense just has not been able to get a, 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 as many scoring opportunities yeah. and shot opportunities that it should have at, at the worst possible time too, because, oh, yeah. because prior to the Cincinnati game on the 28th, right. They'd won three in a row and it scored 10 goals in each of them against Tulsa, ECU and temple. 
So, I mean, we were thinking at that time that the offense was doing just fine, but then all of a sudden, you know, only one goal against Cincinnati. Um, and then, you know, at the worst possible time, they just did not find the offense. And it's too bad because, you know, we look at the postseason awards, you know, UCF had, had players took home four postseason awards, all well-deserved. Caroline Delisle was named the goalkeeper of the year. How about that for timing with your, with your profile of her? Oh, um, Christian sure. Scott was, you know, like you said, was first team all conference. Um, D- uh, Daria Rajai was uh, named the midfielder of the year and first team all conference uh, at that position. And then Ariel Young uh, was named uh, was named to the uh, all rookie team. Uh, and it, I mean, so it's, the talents there, it's just that, man, it, 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 it I mean, obviously that kind of shows you what's, what's going on with UCF, you know, Ariel young, you know, obviously a defender, um, you know, making that all rookie team, she's going to be great. Um, and you know, Kristen has had such an amazing year, an amazing year, but man, it just kind of came apart at the wrong time. And, and you know what, they still might get in. Oh yeah. I mean, if that non-conference schedule is valued as much uh, valued a lot, then uh, yes, I would certainly say that. And credit goes to Tiffany coach, Tiffany Robertson Haydack for that, because we've talked about that tough non-conference schedule and, and it looks like it could pay off for her. So we'll have to see what the selection show on November 8th, it's streaming on NCAA.com at four 30, but we're in a bit of a, in a bit of a limbo right now, but Caroline Delisle certainly, certainly deserves what she's, what she's got. Um, She is, she has an 81% save percentage and she has, she has the most saves in the conference from a goalkeeper, not from Temple, but Temple, you know, has the goal shot at them all the time. But, um, you know, I think that, and Eric and I kind of talked about this a little bit uh, before the, before the show a, a couple of days ago is that this is this real, the fact that UCF was the sixth place team, the sixth seed and mm-hmm. Caroline Doyle still got goalkeeper of the year. Yeah. I think really speaks to what coaches think of her and how much they value her and how she's contributed to UCF's success. And I've said, and I, I think I've said this either on the show or off that, the reason that UCF is in this position in the first place with how, with the way their offense is performed is because of Caroline Delisle or, and the rest and the rest of the defense without Caroline Delisle, or at least a goalkeeper of that caliber. I would, I would, I think the argument could be made that we could probably have been down there with a little, only a little bit better than temple this year. The reason we're in the playoffs is because of Caroline Delisle and her, and her defense of the net. And that's why she's goalkeeper, goalkeeper of the year. She's just a genius back there, man. I'll tell you. Boy, she's just, it's so fun to watch. I'm so glad. And again, well done on that piece that you, they run it. Folks, if you haven't read Bryson's piece on Caroline, you need to do it. Go right, go to black and gold banner at right now. Uh, and, and watch it because, or, and, and read it because, and, and watch the interview too, because, you know, Caroline is just, is just fantastic. L- let's move over to the uh, men's side here uh, real quick, because I want to see, they have one game left and it's the big one. It's against number five Tulsa on Friday at 8 PM. Uh, this team has lost two in a row and they've given up nine goals. Um, it, it's, it, this is a team that's also kind of picking a bad time to have a bad, to have a bad stretch. And the reason for them is, you know, looking at their RPI, they're down at 60 at eight and six overall. Um, 
And even though they're in second place in the American, I mean, they, they need this, this game at Tulsa. I mean, and this is, this is a big ask, right? Um, but they need this game against Tulsa in order to, uh, in order to have a shot. And I think, and then also they need to do something in the championship. Um, so what's your outlook right now for them, uh, with this Tulsa game coming up? The momentum is not there. I think the ability, they can do it. The problem is the momentum is definitely not in their favor. And the fact that they have to go on the road against Tulsa is not, is definitely not ideal. I mean, sure. We beat them on our home turf. So that means, so it, they definitely are beatable, which is good. And, and it's certainly a cause for hope, but oh boy. I mean, going on, the, going on the road against the number five team in the country is a huge ask. And then going into the tournament, we're, we're going to probably have to play either them again yep. or SMU again or possibly Memphis again. And so and that, that, of course, we lost to Memphis earlier in the season, 3 nothing. Now, it, it seems to me that those games, it's because they feel like outliers, like Memphis, for example, like between them, they have 3-2 win against USF and then the, the Tulsa win. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's so it's clear to me that there's a bit of an instability to this instability to this team that that we just don't know what we're going to get out of get out of them. They certainly yeah. they certainly have the ability to, but it's just a very it's just been very mi- mixed. Tyler Levine, for example, the redshirt freshman goalkeeper, has been having a fairly great season behind the net coming into this week. He was seven and one as the go- as a goalkeeper. And but of course, as I said, with with, you know, freshman and redshirt freshman, you know, you sometimes have to anticipate sometimes you ha- you're going to have times where, you know, they're um, I, I guess they're they're freshman shows, I guess, is the best way to say it. And these get, so freshman or freshman. Right. And half and half almost half of his goals, nine of his 19 goals allowed were given up in the last two games. So obviously that's also partly for uh, on his defenders as well. But that's mm-hmm. just what the stat that just that just but I think that just kind of shows I think the defensive collapse that yeah. you, UCF men's soccer has had. And then they've also been outshot as well of their six losses this season. UCF men's soccer. Uh, three of them have been by three goals or more, uh, including one game against Memphis and their most recent game against SMU that five nothing. And, and, and believe it or not, the other three have all been by one goal including an overtime, the overtime loss to South Florida. I think that one hurts probably the most. Oh yeah. Because, you know, looking back on it, you know, and you look at the standings, like USF is second to last in the conference. They're three, five, and one in the league, five, seven, and two overall. That, that's a bad loss. And, uh, and the fact that the UCF was almost able to sneak it out in overtime, but didn't, um, I think is a real, you know, you know, that, that one hurt. That one really hurt. I mean, you can, you, it does you not could, help the case. No, it, it does not. And, and, and the Memphis laws really didn't help either because they're five, eight, and two, four, four, and one in the conference, too. So, I mean, this, so, I mean, but if you sweep Tulsa, you know, this is, this could really, you know, oh. things could get really interesting here all of a sudden. So, oh, yes, very much. Um, so. Now, it's going to be a little hard, though, because, uh, because the one thing that we did not mention that happened in the SMU game is that Mauricio Villalobos Vega, the team captain and the senior midfielder, Got a two yellow cards, which means he got the red card, yep. which means he's going to be suspended he's out. for right. the Tulsa game. And when and I'm telling you what, if there's a game you 
don't want your team captain suspended for, (laughs) it's that one. So this is, so I would, so I think that I, we, I mean, we said with the, before with the other Tulsa game, I mean, we we basically came off with a bad loss against Memphis going into that Tulsa game and, and and they ended up winning three to two. So here we are again, exact same scenario coming off a five, nothing loss to SMU. And now you're going on the, on the road to face Tulsa. So Honestly, I think this this is really the I think might be the make or break moment. I would yeah. argue for UCF men's soccer. So lots of intrigue happening with men's soccer with one regular season game to go, and then of course the tournament which Tulsa will host. Um, and so three uh, straight games in Tulsa, possibly right at most. So and possibly two and possibly two against the the Golden Hurricane to boot. Um, speaking of intrigue about men's soccer, you and I collaborated on a piece on the Black Gold Banneret earlier this week about. You know, the, the conference realignment carousel is not done yet with UCF. Yes, the Knights are in the Big 12, but that's for every sport except men's soccer because the Big 12 does not sponsor men's soccer. Only one Big 12 school actually has, actually plays men's soccer. Um, that's West Virginia. They are in the MAC. And we're scheduled to move over to Conference USA, but we don't know what's going to happen with Conference USA. And then some news dropped with the Sunbelt Conference announcing that they are going to restart men's soccer as a sponsored sport. So Bryson and I put our heads together and threw out some scenarios about which potential conference UCF could join for men's soccer. So we got some options on there. Make sure you check it out on Black and Gold Banneret. Of course, one of the options is you could remain in the American with the teams that are currently there, but you know, maybe the American doesn't want you. So then what do you do? Do you join the Sunbelt Conference? Do you join, try and form something with the Conference USA schools, which are, believe it or not, these are the schools in Conference USA in men's soccer, Kentucky, West Virginia, FIU, South Carolina. These are the schools that are not, that, that will remain officially, at least as of this moment, are would still be Conference USA schools after the other schools leave for the Sun Belt. Um, UCF could theoretically join them as a fifth member, but that's, pre- that's a pretty small conference. Um, and, of course, there was the news recently that Conference USA has invited Liberty, New Mexico State, Jacksonville State, and Sam Houston State. And at the very least, I know that Liberty has. Yeah, Liberty is the only one that has men's soccer out of right. all of those. But on the other hand, you know, those other, you know, the Kentuckys and West Virginias of the world might be like, you know what, we're out. So yeah. we had a couple of scenarios out there that I want to just talk about real quick. Um, you know, there's th- there's an opportunity here to make a really good college soccer conference um, that could compete, I think, directly with the ACC. Uh, now, one would be merging the conference USA and Sunbelt schools into a super conference. And then another would be merging the conference USA and American teams into a super conference. And you, if UCF can be a part of either of those, you're looking at a really competitive league. Now let's start. I'll ask you first, or I'll ask you Bryson in a second, which one would you prefer? But the conference USA Sunbelt conference, I think is my personal favorite because you have a lot of a lot of regional rivalries you would have Marshall and West Virginia. By the way, Marshall defending national champs, eighth in the country in RPI. You'd have Coastal Carolina and South Carolina, South Carolina rivalry. Georgia State, Georgia Southern. Old Dominion, James Madison, both located in Virginia. And UCF and FIU. And then Kentucky would kind of be the odd person out. Um, but Kentucky's really good. 
So the average RPI right this instant for that league would be 61, which is extremely high when you're talking about an average of all the teams that are in there. Five teams in the top 50, James Madison at 54, UCF knocking on the door at 60, and Coastal Carolina at 65. The other option would be merging the, would be merging Conference USA and the American, if the American was willing to do that. And then you would have a bunch of you know really good teams. Uh, it, it would be a mix of brands and markets. So what would that look like? There would be Tulsa, right, right, right now 10th in the RPI, Kentucky, big, big brand, West Virginia, big brand, FIU, big market, Charlotte, big market, SMU, big market, UCF, big brand and big market, South Florida, big market, Memphis, big market, FA, FAU, big market, South Carolina, big brand, Temple, big market, UAB, big market. So uh, now that average RPI is 70. Now, the disadvantages we've been saying about this is, you know, that's some pretty disparate travel situations. And you're also looking at a, t- at a conference that would be the largest in Division I men's soccer um, with at least 13, w- with at least 12 teams, possibly 13. And that's the case in both of them. Given those two options, Bryson, we've thought about this. Now, I, I've said on the record, I like the Sunbelt Conference USA merger better because of all, all of the, 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 the travel partner thing I think works out. Um, although if soccer goes to a full year season, that may not be such a big deal. But I don't know. What do you think? Would, would, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you, where would you put UCF men's soccer? I would put them, I would put them in the Sunbelt. I mean, I, I, now well, I want to make sure that like remaining in the American, I'd love to do that. I mean, to just to, to certainly the easiest option to keep, to keep these rivalries with SMU and Tulsa and USF, you know, all because well, that's the only that would be the only place the war on I four would survive as a conference game. Yep. Plus, and you would add I, FAU to that, you know, another oh, yes. in conference team. Oh, for or sure. Another in state team, I, I should say. I'd love that. But the, unfortunately, as we've seen with uh, the, both the American and James and now recently James Madison, that. Conferences can be very petty. Oh and boy, that James then, Madison situation is. Oh my gosh! Oh, I know. Uh, what a travesty that they're agreed, putting the, those but, athletes through. I'll, right. I'll get. We'll, don't get me started. I, I probably should avoid talking about that, lest lest this become uh, adult language only. But anyway, you can check his Twitter. I'm sure you can check his Twitter. He'll talk. Oh, about, he'll what an outrage! Outrage. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So my point is by mentioning that is that conferences can be petty. And so since UCF men, uh, the American Athletic Conference men's soccer, pro, uh, men's soccer programs, do need, they need six schools in order to survive. And with the new schools they're bringing in, with Charlotte, F- with Charlotte FAU, and UAB, they don't need met UCF men's soccer to survive. They don't mm-hmm. need them. So, um, so unless UCF men's soccer can – unless they really want to have men, UCF men's soccer because they're really good – I mean, they can easily say no, especially especially since they are already leaving for the full thing. So yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, I, I really don't know. I would love it, but I just doubt it. it, it I just doubt it. It's not it's not because I don't want it. But and so looking at the rest, Conference USA is trying to build back up. So if so, it's very unstable. But if they but if they can manage to stabilize then it could be a very good soccer conference if they manage to get the programs and stabilize. But again, that's not guaranteed. 
So that's, that's enough. So there's another kind of iffy situation. In my opinion, mm-hmm. the most stable solution would be going to the Sun Belt. That would be the most stable solution. And that potential Conference USA Sun Belt mix that you were talking about, I honestly yep. think that if that were to ever happen, it wouldn't be its own conference. It would just happen under the Sun Belt umbrella because yeah. Sun Belt just lost men's soccer like they like they played in 2020 they didn't have it this season because they didn't have enough teams to do it and i think that the fact that they didn't have enough teams it would be cause for the sunbelt to kind of build up the men's soccer the, the the numbers in their men's in their new men's soccer league where that's yeah. not going to happen i mean like the the reason they lost members because of the pandemic. And so if you end up losing members again in the future, having associate members like Kentucky, South Carolina, West Virginia, UCF will be able to help you keep your numbers up. So that way you won't be in danger of possibly losing men's soccer again. And so looking and looking at it, I mean, you have Marshall, you have James Madison, James Madison. And if you can bring in those associate members, I mean, you associate members, then that's going to be a very, a, a very threatening men's soccer conference to behold and now FIU might have to stay behind in the conference USA if they manage to stabilize but even with the other associate members things look very interesting if UCF decides to join the Sun Belt along with the other ones and West Virginia's decision is going to be very important in where we go I think yeah West West Virginia is going to be interesting because now now here here's an interesting thing like remember I I would talked about earlier if we did the Sun Belt and then you'd have you know, Kentucky would be the odd team out in a 13 team league. If, if the conference USA teams merged with the Sun Belt, So I did a little research. All right. Marshall, obviously not going anywhere. And they're the best team in the conference anyway. Um, Hunt, Marshall's located in Huntington, West Virginia. Now, let me ask you a question, Bryce, and this is kind of a trick question. So maybe I'm, I'm giving away the answer. Which school is closer to Marshall geographically? West Virginia or Kentucky? Uh, I'm. Mm, it's a. I feel like that's a close one. I a close one. Lexington, I believe, is a, is like Central Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. While mm-hmm. Morgantown is a little more like Northish West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna say it's it's West Virginia, but it's got but it's close. It's Kentucky. It, it is Kentucky. Hunt, the driving distance from 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 Lexington, Kentucky, to Huntington, West Virginia, one hour and fifty nine minutes. That's one hundred and twenty six miles. Driving distance from Huntington, West Virginia, where Marshall is located, to Morgantown, West Virginia, where WVU is located, three hours and seventeen minutes, two hundred and nine miles. Man, I just asked him. I, I really underestimated. I didn't even realize that I- until now. So man, so honestly, Kentucky, so honestly, Kentucky, West Virginia and Marshall could really just kind of be their own little, like uh, a little pot. Or if you're, if you, if you're to me, if you're the Sunbelt and the conference USA schools decide to knock on your door, you're like, Hey, you know, we want in, I would tell them, all right, uh, Kentucky, you're in West Virginia, go find somewhere else to go. Now the question, but again, the question becomes, what does West Virginia want to do? Because you know, to me, and I think that may have an effect on what UCF decides to because they are now both Big 12 schools. And so there's a relationship there. And so, you I mean, know, Kentucky you want... has that with South Carolina. Right. So, um, so I don't know. This, this, 
I, some people, it, it, Lopez was, was talking to us there. He's like, man, you guys are spinning your wheels on this. I'm like, listen, this is interesting to me because yes. what, because to me, it's, it's a, it's a big, and it's, I know it's interesting to you, but it's in the big picture. What gives UCF men's soccer the best chance to win a national championship? And obviously playing in the most competitive soccer league possible is a big boost to that. So I would want to play in as strong a league as possible. So, uh, and there's a chance for one of these schools to make that. Now, the other question is what do those Sunbelt teams decide to do? do? Are they okay with having associate members? Are they not? Is the American okay with having associate members? Are they not? Well, know. they are okay with having associate members. The question is, is that are they willing to have us as an associate? Member? That's, that's true. So, uh, so now when are we going to know about this? We don't know. We may find out right before UCF actually joins you know, the big 12, obviously latest language is still, still standing is uh, no sooner than July 1st, 2024. Um, there are a lot of rumors out there that they're trying to, that UCF and the other schools, you know, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston are trying to negotiate an entry into, into the conference. As soon as July 1st, 2023, they would have to negotiate with their current conferences, except for BYU who's independent, obviously. Although BYU does have to negotiate an exit from their all sports conference. But, um, you know, if that's the case, you know, whenever those terms are negotiated and finalized, that's when UCF's administration and the administration were, or, or just, just UCF's administration would then begin negotiations for figuring out what to do with the men's soccer team right now. And that shouldn't take long because you're only talking about one program. Um, but there's intrigue to be out. I'd love to be a fly. Listen, I would love to be a fly on the wall for those conversations inside, oh, yeah. inside the building, because you know, what, what's the, what is Terry Mohajer's thought process and, yeah, and, and figuring that out now? See, and, and, I, and is he, and, and what are he and Scott Calabrese talking about? Okay. Well, I, we, I believe he said in the news conference, cause I believe it was you that asked that question about men's yep. soccer at the big 12, con- at the big 12 news conference was, and, and that Mohajer spoke to Calabrese about this. And I think the fact that the Calabrese was the one that it was extended the longest, out of all of the coaches uh-huh. that he extended, I think is a sign that he is a, is a sign that a really wants to make sure he stays on for this transition to happen and to give some time for the conference to kind of stick in. Um, the other big thing I think though, because Mohajer even said himself that, you know, he just, he was, he already came in on third base with the big 12 thing. Yeah. and He just kind of got, and he just kind of make, got everything home. So this and considering how much he's he's talking how he's valued men's soccer because remember he mentioned that the football campus can also double as a football campus as well so yeah and i saw and i saw we saw those renderings and there was quite a bit of buildup of soccer infrastructure around the soccer and track so it's very he's already like dug this for himself where he's he's made it clear that he's that he values men's soccer yeah he's well he values soccer in general right and so by the way in florida you should Right. Oh, yeah. And it's so sorry. So now we're going to see like, basically this is the this is a big test for him, because if the Big 12 was something that he just needed to to compl- just to take the final leg, to take the anchor leg, sort of mm-hmm. uh, if taking relay terms, this thing right this right here with the men's soccer is going to be a very big test for Terry Mohajer himself when it comes to conference realignment, conference yep. realignment. So so the, I'm very interested to see what he's go- what he's going to do with this. All right, let's flip over to volleyball because we got a lot better news to talk about over there, Bryce. Yes, please. Um, they have won 
Since that Houston loss on Friday, October the 8th, they have won seven in a row, and they've won their last six all by sweeps, including four of them on the road. They swept Tulsa and Wichita State at home this past weekend. They go back on the road at Cincinnati on Friday, 6.30 p.m., at East Carolina on Sunday, November the 7th, before they come back home for four in a row. But here's the story with them right now. 18-6 and six overall, 11-1 in the conference, and their RPI is solidly in, in, in good territory. They're at 21 right now in the RPI. And, uh, and in addition to that, right now they have a two – this is the most important thing for them. They have a two-game lead on Houston – in the American Athletic Conference standings. And why is that important? There is no tournament this year. All right. They they had it for a couple of years. UCF won it both years. They got rid of it. And this is what Coach Dagenet and I have talked about for years, is that he prefers not having a tournament. Um, because that's he believes that that's the best way to get as many teams in is to have the regular season speak for itself. So you do it, so they're doing the full, the full balance schedule, double round robin. Houston's at nine and three. Wichita State, Cincinnati at eight and four right now, but UCF is at 11 and one in the conference with a two game lead. Uh, importantly for them right now, well, actually, I take that back, not importantly, but important for us. Uh, look at what uh, UCF, is, or look at what McKenna Melville is doing right now. Uh, the McKenna watch continues. Um, right now, she is third in the country in total kills. Uh, with 437 she's third in the country in points per set third in the country in points she was first now she's dropped down to third but hey that's you know third still pretty good ninth in total swings with 1087 um and uh let's see what oh she's also top 10 in attacks per set 12.35 swings per set um all all those numbers she's uh she's number one in the conference except for total attack she's actually second behind abby jackson of houston um who herself is having a very good year but um this train just continues to roll and you know right now big weekend at cincinnati at ecu um like we said cincinnati's tied for second ecu is at four and eight in the conference they're in the bottom third um, but this team just continues to roll right now, uh, Bryson. And with these remaining road matches, um, you know, after this, they get this nice homestand for four matches, and then they go on the road to Tulane Houston to finish up the season that, that you know, relatively tough, you know, road swing to kind of finish things out. But uh, your outlook right now on, on UCF volleyball right now, because um, this thing is starting to shape, is starting to come into shape now. And, um, this month in November is going to be very key for them. Oh, yes. Uh, I said we I said before that Houston and Wichita State looked to be the only looked to be the only teams that could, that could in conference that could give UCF a challenge, I think. Mm-hmm. And they just handle handily defeated Wichita State at home at home, which is a major step up for them, especially after that Houston match. At, we, we I mean, we talked with I talked with Todd Dajne after that match. And he mentioned how in that match UCF played to play to not lose instead of played to win. And I think that that loss probably I think lit a fire under them because considering what happened after, considering what's been yeah. happening afterwards, that now, that loss may have that, that that loss may have done them a favor. Actually, you know, it, coaches don't like to say that, you know, but like, you know, I suspect that they probably looked at me like, you know, something we needed to, you know, like 
that kind of snapped us into position because they've only lost one set since. Oh yeah, exactly. It's it's just it's just kind of the sort of the kick in the teeth that you need sometimes, and that's what and that's what they managed to do there. Uh, McKenna Mel- McKenna Melville, of course. I mean, uh, like look, th- there are only four home games left in this regular season. We don't know if we're going to be hosting anything in the NCAA ter- in the NCAA tournament. If we, and I have to say, if we make it, but if in, if in quotes. So if you if you have not gone to see a UCF volleyball game and seen McKenna Melville, McKenna Cook, go. <laughs> All right. We, we, we talked, we, we mentioned with like, uh, with, uh, with no, with, uh, Greenberg, our new, uh, photographer, our new newest photographer on staff. And he went to a volleyball game recently and he talked about like how excited, how excited, how excited it is to see McKenna play. And, uh, I, I and I have to agree that was how I felt when I saw her when I went to the Houston match. The mm-hmm. Houston match and looking at, and I want to mention this is how like a historic McKenna Melville's play, uh, the type of player that McKenna Melville is. She currently has a thousand one thousand eight hundred and eight career kills. That is just five, or, um, the, or that that is eight hundred. Yeah, that is about five kills, less than five kills away because to the one thousand eight hundred eleven so total. That's three kills from Miriam Metzkis, who is third all time in UCF volleyball history in career in career kills, and the two above her, Renata Menchikova and Tyra Harper. These are all players that have played in the '90s, which means that McKenna Melville, the total kills that we're seeing out of her, we have not seen a player do since the '90s. And she still yeah. has another year of eligibility. Left. And that was, and that was before the rally scoring era too. When you, in order to get a point in a match, you actually had to win that point on serve. You know, now you can win a point on every point, but you know, you're absolutely right about that. It, it's uh, um, you know, we're looking at right now, I'm looking, I'm trying to see, I'm pulling up that list myself. Yeah. Right now. So you said she, so you said McKenna's at 1,808. Is that right? By my last calculation, yes. So three more from Miriam Metzkis to get her to get her into third all time. Uh, she uh, Tyra Harper is at one thousand nine thirty two. So that's a little bit more than a hundred away from McKenna right now. I think she could probably get to number two by the end of the season. Um, Renata Menchikova right now is at two thousand one fifty one. I don't know if McKenna is going to have a shot at that, but I, but you know, at 1,808, there's an outside shot, you know, that she could get to 2000 kills by the end of the season. And let's, let's say she averages now this, this past game or this past match, she had 18 kills. Let's say she averages 20 kills per match. There's eight matches to go in the regular season. That would put her at 160. If UCF, it, it, you know, give or take, like, right, it, right, again, no tournament, so you can't add those matches on. But if you get to the NCAA tournament, if UCF gets to the second round, she could get to 2,000 kills if she averages 20 kills, 20 kills a, uh, a match over the, next, over the next 10 matches. Um, right. Of course, way, she, if she really up. turns it on and averages more than that, she can get there by the end of the regular season. But we really don't know yet, and I'm fairly certain that that Coach Tejanate doesn't want that to happen. But you know, if you have to, if you have to let McKenna cook, 
let McKenna cook. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I really, you know, I mean, we are watching history right now. We are witnessing it firsthand. Um, gosh, it, it's just, it's just so remarkable to watch a player just at the peak of her abilities right now. And she still has one year of eligibility to go. That's what's more, that's, yeah, what that's the what most fun about it. That's amazing. Oh yeah. I misspoke earlier, by the way, she's at, at 1,806 career kills. So that's a, so I, just, okay. I so, so add another two to that. So yeah, add right. another two, but I look, I looked, she is 345 kills away from Renata Menchikova. So I did the math. So I did some math, including this season. So everything up to this point, this season and the, and the shortened 2020 season, the average number of kills that she gets a season is 451.5. Oh my goodness. So if she, if she comes back for another year of eligibility with another, for, for this, for She's, the if she comes back for another year, she, she has 2,500 career kills like firmly in her sights. Oh yes, exactly. And that, that's what, and so I think that honestly, like, and I don't, obviously we don't want to, you know, speak too far down the road, but should McKenna Melville come back for another season? That's, I, I think that could easily be the biggest story of the fall is McKenna's quest, is McKenna's quest to two, to one, 2,151. I mean, even, but even now we're not, we're seeing a player that again, that hasn't that done, had this many kills since the nineties and which is insane and i and again rally scoring so mm-hmm. i mean we can't basically we can't say this enough that McKenna, that mckenna melville is an absolute beast like mckenna melville is a grown woman and she is absolutely killing it out there out there right now and no so, pun intended <laughs> so <laughs> and so if you guys have not i mean and so if you guys have not see oh yeah and and the fact that she uh, she scored her 10th double double against tulsa and that is the that means that she has gotten a double double in 42 percent of her match of her matches this season 42 percent four out of ten times double double which is again flat out insane like it essentially I like I started off and I'll say I'll say this is that if you have not seen McKenna Melville play yet, there's four home games left. Go, please. Yeah. Next home match is going to be Veterans Day, November the 11th against Memphis. That's going to start that four game, that four game sort of uh, homestand, if you will, for UCF, for UCF volleyball. So that should be a lot of fun. Um, by the way, we need to talk about like in like individual records right now. NCAA in NCAA history, the all-time leader in kills for a career, Svetlana Vitorina of George Washington University, finished her career with three thousand forty-three kills, but she played from nineteen ninety-two to ninety-five. Um, I'm looking at I'm looking up the NCAA's um, uh, records here. Uh, let's see season records i know this is really boring boring radio here um let's see i want want career okay career records kills um only one here we go one two three four five six seven eight nine players all time rally scoring hour or not have finished their careers with 2,500 kills or more. 
By the way, one of them is Jordan Thompson for Cincinnati, who finished with 2,664. Another one is Tyler Henderson of Tulsa, who played from 2009 to 2012, finished with 2,525. Another player who we were absurdly familiar with when she played. She, back at that time, you know, Tulsa was dominant, and Tyler, Hall, Tyler Henderson was their best player. Um, but McKenna Melville could be well on her way to uh, an NCAA to the the high the highest heights of the NCAA record book um, in terms of uh, in terms of all time kills. Svetlana Viturina of uh, of George Washington, by the way, the only player with three thousand kills all time, um, and of course that was in the uh, side out scoring era. Um, all time in the uh, rally scoring era, Stacy Gordon of Ohio State, 2001 to 2004, 400, uh, 2,798 kills. Is She's the leader in that era. But McKenna Melville is approaching rarefied air uh, in terms of uh, the all-time kill leaders. All right. A couple of things we've got to wrap up here uh, real quick, Bryson. Tennis, ITA Fall Nationals are underway. Trey Hildebrand of UCF is playing in the singles, singles and he's playing with his uh, doubles partner, Bogdan Pavel, in the doubles. What's the outlook for that? Because the, this ITA Fall Nationals out in San Diego, this is a big deal. This is If the NCAAs are like the Wimbledon of college tennis, this is the U.S. Open, right? So outlook for them right now coming out. I know that Trey's actually playing uh, – we're recording this on Thursday, November the 4th. Trey's playing right now, isn't he? Trey, I believe if we... Or he, he will be done by the time that this comes into your feed. I'm thinking. Yeah, he will be done by the time it comes into this feed. We're recording this at a, we're recording this at about 1130-ish on Thursday. He, his match is going to start at 9 a.m. local time in San Diego, California, which is about noon Eastern here. So he's about to start from our perspective. Mm-hmm. So, but by the time you guys hear this, he'll, he'll have been done by that point. Uh, and he's coming as far as singles goes, he's definitely has the momentum coming in, coming into this from get from being a finalist, being a finalist before. So uh, I think the, so I am excited to see how, uh, to see how he does the momentum's there. I think he just has to put, put his game together. And, and, and I think he can very much do that. He's definitely the highlight for the men's tennis program this time. Mm-hmm. The big thing I think is the doubles tournament with Bogdan Pavel because they're the number three ranked doubles duo in the country. Right. The thing is, is that they haven't really been showing it lately. They have gone out or a lot of a bit earlier in tournaments than I think they should be. And so I think that this, and it's sure it's fall tennis, you know, maybe they might be just working on, working on some stuff, trying some stuff out, but in, for, but as far as this, I, a deep run from them, I would very much like to see because I think that could very because I think that could very much ease a, ease a little bit of I guess from the outside looking in some worries about this about this duo because you know they're a really good duo and they just haven't really been showing showing it with not with not so deep tournament runs in the, over this fall over this fall schedule mm-hmm. so so. I think the doubles tournament will be the thing to really keep an eye on, but all the best to Hill, to Hildebrand in the, in the singles draw, because the momentum's there. And so I, I think that he could have a very good tournament. A couple other things we want to wrap up here uh, to Bryson cross country 
and uh, women's golf uh, as well. So cross country competed in uh, the American championships to wrap up the cross country season. And we're going to get ready for track and field right around the corner. As we approach the spring, they finished seventh in the American uh, as a team. Um, And, uh, but uh, Valerie Lastra uh, was a second team all conference. She finished eight overall, 28th overall, 21, 39.9 in those results. So uh, what was the outlook on this too, Bryce? I, I get the feeling like I think UCF was probably a little bit disappointed in how they finished um, in the, uh, in the conference rankings. But then again, you know, in Lakeland, you know, tough course. It's, sometimes it's just the way that day works out though. Yeah. I, 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 we, I get into this with Anne-Marie Blaney, which you can see on the black and gold banner at YouTube channel. And it's also linked on my nightcap as well, but he, she sort of actually praised the team for managing to stick pretty close together, which is something you want to do in cross country. You have right. individuals like Valerie Lastra or Yasmin Wright, who's going for the individual championship and that's fine. But the most of the, but cr- most of the, but for most of it, cross country is mostly a team sport that you want to try to stay kind of close together mm-hmm. with. And that's, and that's something that UCF did do. It's just, the problem is, is that it was farther behind than it, re- than it really should have been. But, yeah. and I have to em- emphasize this, this is still a very young team. So right. I think that, so I think there is very much room for improvement here. There's still some promise. They weren't dead last. So that, which is a good, which is good. And there's, but there's room for improvement. And as far as for Valerie Lastra, she's just a freshman herself or credited as one because, you know, COVID has messed everything up when it, in terms of eligibility and labels. So, uh, but basically um, she said that, you know, eight is a very good position for a very good position for a freshman like Valerie Lastra to have watching the stream. Uh, she was in the lead pack actually for about maybe the first six, seven minutes, but then she had to fall back a little, uh, fall back a little bit. And Blaney did uh, and did praise how she was able to hang on for that eighth place finish because even though the lead pack was creating separation on her, she still managed to get that top ten, which is a bit, which is really good, especially for a freshman. Yeah. So, uh, so all congratulations in the world go to Yasmin Wright, by the way, who was the individual champion from Wichita State. But with her and all the other seniors leaving, that it just opens the door for Lastra to improve come next season. And I'm very excited to, to see where she goes. We talked about her on the show before, and I think she has the potential to be another Anne-Marie Blaney as far as cross-country goes. But, awesome. we still have a, but we still have a long way to go when it comes to that. So I'm, I am very, uh, I'm very optimistic about this team and while it's not the best i think that with this team team's youth it's i'm very interested to see what they can do moving forward they have the they have the south regional in huntsville alabama coming up on november 12th friday november 12th bodes well for uh the the, uh, distance uh phase of the track and field season too when that comes around too so i'm interested to see how they convert over from cross country to the uh, to the track season. Um, also, last last but not least, women's golf uh, finished in uh, sixth place at the Landfall Tradition in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, they had uh, four players finish uh, at five over or better, including uh, Camille Banze finished uh, at tied for 12. She was the highest night at, uh, at uh, one under par. A little bit of concern, though, uh, by the way, she shot a 67 in the second round. That was the best UCF round. It's pretty good. Um, 
A little bit of concern, though, I think uh, that you were talking to me about, uh, 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 Bryson. Uh, Pat Pitten um, did not finish the third round. Um, he's usually, you know, one of UCF's top competitors. Do we have any word on why that happened? I I got word that I got word that she did withdraw because of an injury and considering okay. her to her and considering her performances in the first two rounds, I have to wonder if she was trying to play through it. And it yeah, because she shot 74, 76 in the first two rounds, which I mean, shoot, I'd love to shoot 74 and 76 in the first two rounds of anything, but um, but not but uncharacteristic for her. Yes. Oh, so. yes, for sure. So um, I wasn't uh, there wasn't specification on what the injury was, but uh, but it is. But, you know, I wish Tenrata Pitten all the best in yeah. her recover in her recovery, for, uh, in her recovery from that. Um, the good news is, is, is that she'll have a lot of time to do it because this was the last tournament of, of the women's golf ball schedule. Right. Uh, they're going to be back in February on February 6th, where they're hosting the UCF challenge at Eagle Creek golf club. But yep. as far as, as far as this goes, solid fall season from the w- women's golf Tenrata Pitten, especially, uh, I would also say this was a, this was a fairly good redemption for Alyssa Lamoro for Alyssa Lamoro. Yep. Uh, she she shot very uh, the, her first two rounds very well. The third round not so much, but you know sometimes you have bad days. So very so solid redemption from her. And then also I've been very interested to see the rise of Zoe Allo, the freshman the freshman on the team because she's had a very solid fall. Yeah. So very I'm, consistent other than she said she went 74, 73, 72, finished at plus three. Yes. So, so being, you know, again, I've always loved seeing freshmen and, and if they if they manage to do very well in their first season as a collegiate athlete and Zoe Allo is, is, is doing that right now. So I'm very intrigued to see what she will do in this, what she will do in the spring schedule. But of course, Tenrata Pitten is the headliner for this team. So I wish her all the best in her recovery from whatever injury she, she is going through, but she will have plenty of time to recover before February. So we will see how that, how that goes once we get there. All right, cool. Bryson Turner talking with us about uh, uh, about UCF sports uh, all around the place, from uh, from volleyball to soccer to golf. Make sure you keep an eye out for Nightcap at the beginning of the week every week, where uh, Bryson recaps the latest in UCF sports from around uh, from every. Uh, we call see we call them Olympic sports, but I kind of don't like that term. Uh you know, because it's like non-football, non, I, it's, I don't know. There's just something about that, that I don't like it. It, it takes, it takes away these, the identity from these sports, but uh, we know that you got you, the fans like to, you know, keep, uh, keep updated on everything. And Bryson's your guy. It's Bryson Turner on Twitter. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the black and gold Banneret podcast. Thanks again to stat boy drew for joining us stat uh, uh, Andrew Glukov stat boy drew on Twitter. And also thanks and welcome aboard to Kyle Nash. The SOTG, the SOTG, which stands for student to the game on Twitter. He's going to be joining us and doing a lot of stuff with basketball and maybe helping us out with football coverage. Who knows? Also, nice Bryson Noah Goldberg with photography. Right. And yes. And huge thanks to Noah, who's who's come on board and helped us out with photography alongside Derek Warden. Um, just uh, I, I love the work that those guys do. I mean, it's amazing. They just step up our content so, so much, so much better every time out. So. Thanks to those guys. If you don't follow us on Twitter, make sure you do UCF underscore banneret. By the way, new feature out. Twitter is allowing me to pilot a new feature called communities where you can actually create. It's kind of like 
the way I've described, I, I, I kind of described it is like if Twitter had subreddits, this is what that would be. And uh, if you're a member of our uh, UCF sports community on Twitter, um, you get, you can invite some of your UCF friends to join along. Um, I know that a lot of people have been asking me to try and get in. I'm trying to get to those invitations as quickly as I can. There's a lot of people who want to join in. Okay. But I'm trying to get to them, but uh, thanks, to, but thanks to everyone who's joined really excited to see that. You're going to see a lot of premium, hopefully seeing some relatively premium content from us at Blackville Banneret up there. Follow us UCF underscore banner for all the latest. Also follow uh, facebook.com slash black and gold banner at. And of course we are always at black and gold banner your home for UCF sports on the web, part of the SB nation network. Uh, if you subscribe to this podcast, we thank you so much. Make sure you tell a UCF friend, uh, leave a rating uh, as well as a comment uh, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, if you do not subscribe, please do. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are also on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts if you're on an Android device. And that will- Not to mention our YouTube channel. Not to mention our YouTube channel, which is also blowing up. And also uh, just recently added, okay? Uh, Don't forget, we're going to have night shift after the homecoming game. Uh, As soon as that concludes, uh, and that will be available on our Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube feeds. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, and also I will, we're putting that up as a podcast as well, the day after the game. So make sure you subscribe to our feed, black and gold banneret for all the latest on that and more. So for Drew Glukov, for Kyle Nash, for Bryson Turner, I'm Jeff Sharon saying, thank you so much for listening. This has been the black and gold banneret podcast. Happy homecoming. Happy homecoming.